What's going on today? Hope the day is treating you well. Wanted to let you know the podcast is proudly brought to you by Muskoka Spray Foam Insulation. If you need your home spray foamed, be sure to check out msfi.ca today. Drew and the crew over at Muskoka are waiting for you to help you with your spray foam needs. Be sure to check out msfi.ca today. We're also proudly brought to you by Boone Contracting. They pride themselves on excellent customer service and quality workmanship. They specialize in every aspect of contracting, residential or commercial, from complete custom renovations, decks, fencing and more. Be sure to check out boonecontracting.ca. Are you ready to go offside? Because it's Offside Hockey Talk with your host, James Roberts. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are back with yet another awesome episode of Offside Hockey Talk, sitting down today with Fody, and I don't want to butcher the last name, but I'm going to try it. Is it Sonoropolis? You got it. Oh, I tried, and I got her. There we go. Uh, Fody, I want to say thank you again very much for uh, joining us here on Offside. I know it's a busy time, obviously, with everything going on with the pandemic and then the Olympic Games being pushed back. I'm sure you're up to your eyeballs with a lot of things. So, again, thanks so much for taking the time. Yeah, happy to do it. Now, um, for yourself, obviously you have a large resume of working with, uh, obviously, sports leagues and now with the Canadian Olympic Committee. Um, wondering, how did you get to where you are? What schooling did you do? What led Fody to where he is today? Oh, jeez. It's uh, <laughs> <laughs> quite the question. Um, I took the most indirect route to where I am today, to be quite frank with you. Um, I, I know that I um, wanted to do communications in one way or another as I was growing up and I, I was studying to uh, to do radio and television. I did that for a while uh, which was really really important to understanding how the medium works. Um, this is way 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 back before social media and all that stuff that we know uh, today. Uh, so I did a whole bunch of, um, of TV and radio and uh, you know, I got into uh, into hockey in, in the most um, I wouldn't call it bizarre, but odd way, I guess. Uh, in that, I applied for a job at the NHL several years ago, and I, I was convinced I wasn't going to get it. And um, they were kind of interested in my background. I had an education background, uh, studying at the time to, in my master's degree in education, and I had a communications background as well. And, um, and you know, I, I went one, at one interview after another interview after another interview and then sort of kind of realized that they were kind of interested in me and started off working at the NHL uh, as the all-star location manager, uh, worked out of Montreal office. And, um, and, then, and then, you know, that sort of catapulted me into the hockey world. And uh, after working... Um, at the at the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League, by extension the Canadian Hockey League, um, I ended up in in the role I am today, which is uh, communications director at the uh, Canadian Olympic Committee. So you're named the director of communications for the uh, for Team Canada on June 12, 2017. How did that call come about? What did they say to you? Did you know it was going to happen, or was it just a this is amazing, this is happening moment? <laughs> well, it was one of the most arduous interview processes uh, that I have been through. I don't recall the number of interviews. I, I stopped counting after four, um, uh, and and they were quite uh, quite arduous, to be completely frank with you. They, um, 
it was a very lengthy process. The Traditionally, the communications director at the Canadian Olympic Committee was a uh, role that was appointed, uh, and uh, a lot of the times it was a role that was appointed from the communications director of the prime minister. So a lot of the time, a lot of my predecessors had been communications directors for, you know, Stephen Harper and the like. And, um, and so I was, I think in, in recent memory, the first communications director that actually went through a, an actual interview process. So I was actually selected and not um, not appointed to the role. Uh, and so because of that, they wanted to make sure that I was uh, I was up to up to the standard of what they were hoping to get, and um, and so one of the criteria was obviously being bilingual, serving the Quebec market, but also the uh, Canadian market as well, and understanding the media landscape. Uh, they wanted a whole bunch of things, including a uh, communications plan as to what I was thinking uh, or wanting to take uh, Team Canada and what direction I wanted to take them. And um, I presented a very lengthy communications plan. If memory serves me right, it was quite quite lengthy. It was a 50 or 60 page document. Uh, and um, and and then uh, I went through a whole bunch of interviews with a whole bunch of people. And when they actually finally called me, it was kind of. Um, a relief, but at the same time, a I can't believe believe it type of moment. I mean, uh, I guess it's it's the feeling that a lot of our athletes feel when they're named to Team Canada as well. It's it's that uh, I can't believe this uh, this dream is actually becoming a reality, and it was actually a really cool moment for me. Now, where you went through the interview process and and they selected you, um, is there a term? to you being the communications director or is it your job for as long as uh, you see fit or they see fit or what's the uh, the scope of the I guess the job for you yeah I think it's it's, it's the latter uh, hopefully as, as long as I see fit and not as long as they see fit <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but yeah no there isn't a term yet so so it is a permanent position and, and I, I did start three years ago so it's it's been uh, a role when I've gone through so many amazing experiences uh including the pyeongchang winter olympics uh which were just amazing and awesome and everything you can possibly imagine uh so yeah no i the 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 tokyo olympics is is obviously the next step and and in between that we had a whole bunch of other things because a lot of well, my friends and family don't really understand what we do between Olympics, but there are basically Olympics every single year. It's just that the other ones we're not accustomed to or we don't really talk about as much. So we have uh, Pan-American Games uh, that happen. Uh, Pan Ams were hosted by Toronto a couple of year, uh, several years ago, uh, but we just recently were in uh, Lima, Peru this past summer uh, with those games. We have Youth Olympic Games that happen as well. Uh, that, those happened in uh, Lausanne this, uh, the, a, few, a few months ago, actually, the beginning of the year. Uh, and we obviously have the Summer and Winter Olympics. So literally every year is an Olympics year, and so we're constantly in prep mode for what the next games are going to bring. Now, for those other Olympics that aren't, I guess, to the forefront of the conscious of most people, um, what would you say needs to be done to bring those forward? Obviously, the Pan American Games, and then you also look at the Youth Olympics. Obviously, in 2022, they are going to be in Dakar. I'm wondering uh, what would be done to, I guess, further those into the conscious of most people. 
Yeah, I mean, Pan Ams went a, a, a long way into getting into people's consciousness with uh, Toronto hosting the games. Um, although, uh, I, I would probably argue that it was a bigger deal within the city of Toronto than uh, across Canada. It also depends on the level of athletes that we bring to those games. A lot of the times, um, when we're looking at Pan Am games, we're a lot of our national sports organizations. So you're thinking of all the, you know, the hockey Canada's, tennis Canada's, um, basketball Canada's of these of the of of, um, of our country will probably not send their elite athletes to those games, or will probably send uh, teams that they're that that. Are, you know, they they want to give an experience to as uh, as a precursor to the Olympics. So athletes that will have the possibility or the ability to get to the uh, team in a couple of years or in, in in a few years down the line. So it's it's an interesting it's an interesting feat. We we are seeing a more and more interest around our, our Pan Am games. These Olympic games are a different beast. It's it's kind of like the junior hockey of uh, the Olympics, right? So it's it's younger athletes that make it to the Olymp- the youth Olympic games, and those athletes are really generally athletes that we kind of want to give their first multi sport experience to and showcase, you know, what living in an Olympic village is really like and um, what what having that communal experience with other countries is really like the the. Uh, you know, idea behind the Olympics, which was uh, a concept that you know is as ancient as the uh, Olympics that were held in antiquity, and as recent as the ones that were brought by uh, Pierre de Coubertin uh, at the beginning of the century, were were about collectivity, about putting aside differences, about competing in a peaceful environment and about, um, you know, surpassing one's own limits. And, and that's really the experience that we try to get to the athletes that participate in the Youth Olympic Games. Well, I think the Youth Olympic Games, I mean, if, if it gets to a certain level, I'd love to see it. You look at the World Juniors or even you go through the uh, the university or the collegiate basketball or anything like that, and you look at how those grow and, and the excitement that can be generated through them. You know, each year everybody gets pumped up for them. You'd like to see that kind of support, you know, go for whatever is going for Team Canada. But like you said, it takes a little bit more to to get people, I guess, in, into those kind of things. Especially, I guess, in the summer where it's not major uh, Olympics or major athletes that are always, you know, pushed to the forefront, so to speak. Whether they be on a cereal box or commercials or, you know, wherever, like you you know what I'm trying to say that with that situation. So I hope they one day can be on the same level as like the world juniors, just to get everybody jumped up and excited and, and pumped up for the younger generation and propel them forward. You know to to make the uh, the larger Olympic team. You know when the regular Olympics go too. Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, you know we're not 100 percent sure what will be happening with Dakar this this time around, given the fact that a lot of the things have been postponed. A lot of our scheduling and championships have all been postponed because of our current situation <clears throat> but hopefully if they do go on it'll be a wonderful experience it's actually going to be the first time that the olympics are going to be held or a version if you will of the olympics are going to be held in the african continent and uh, that's super exciting for uh the people in senegal uh, i was there just a few months ago and it, it really is an incredibly important step for them and um you know one of the things that we did as team canada is we went out there and 
we signed a, a, an MOU, a Memorandum of Understanding, with the Sangalese Olympic Committee uh, just in terms of knowledge sharing. And that's part of what the Olympic spirit is all about. Yes, there is competition between our countries, but what really it is at the core is, is making the world a better place and, and sharing knowledge and ideas and, uh, and exchanging with other countries and uh, making ourselves better as a, as a human race so um it's it's a really i mean and and, and, you know just going back to your original question about how it felt when i got the call from team canada saying that i was part of the quote-unquote team behind the team the team that keeps uh our actual you know athletes at the forefront and supports them it's really all of those feelings summed up into uh, into what i just said it's it's the idea that i can collaborate with a world community to hopefully make this world a little bit of a better place or at least better than than the way we uh we started no that's one thing that needs to constantly be done and needs to constantly be pushed to the forefront is working together as a global community and getting everybody on the same page and you know like you said the peacefulness of the games and everything that brings with it yeah there's a competitiveness but still getting everyone together and you know it's all under a peace and there's no issues or problems it's just everybody's there to not only have a good time but just showcase the best athletes and showcase each country and what they bring and their cultures and everything like that and that that's what needs to be shown more in the world opposed to all the negativity surrounding things Absolutely, absolutely. And I think that's that's one of the great things about what we do uh, in terms of sports in general. I mean, either be it what I used to do with the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League or what I'm currently doing with Team Canada, it's it's bringing um, bringing some sort of unity uh, through sport, uh, and and you can totally see that in hockey as well, right? When 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 push comes to shove, yes, there are rivalries between teams, but um, I've never felt the rallying cry of a hockey family more than I had when, um, when personal things happened to me that were difficult, um, and 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 how I I felt that support from that hockey community as I currently do from the sport world. It's it's really an amazing amazing family. No, the way they everything everybody rallies and comes together, whether it be hockey or basketball or football, it's always a community and everyone even the community of sport period you know you see something happens in the world or even if you're looking on social media and just per se a child you see him being bullied all the athletes reach out and try to make sure you know make his day or you see a child's birthday being missed because of the pandemic and they had to celebrate home and they don't get to do what they usually do and they're upset you know and you have maybe an austin matthews or connor mcdavid reaching out say hey i know you're your favorite player happy birthday you know just those little things go a long way Absolutely, and I think that's what's really, really cool about what what we get to do uh, on a daily basis. And, and you know, I mean, one of the things that I, I kind of find uh, endearing as well is what Thomas Bach, uh, the president of the uh, International Olympic Committee, said in terms of of what the postponement might mean for the world. Right, the postponement of the games um, is is definitely. A horrible thing for a lot of our athletes. A lot of our athletes are, are devastated, but by by this announcement, because you know some of them uh, might have to completely forego their Olympic dreams. Some of them might not be in competition shape in a year from now. Others uh, might not um, be able to 
you know, concentrate or have to put their their personal lives on hold. Right? You know, a lot of the athletes um, have already put their lives on hold in order to get ready for the games this summer and you know their dreams were to be okay I, i'll go to the olympics and then when i can come back to you know canada i'll start uh, i'll start my life again i'll start looking for a job and i'll start looking at what my you know or i'll go back to studying or whatever and they have to put all those ideas and plans on hold for another year so that they can go to the games but what thomas box said in in his um uh, press conference when when the postponement was announced was that he hopes that the games uh much like the olympic flame can be that light at the end of that tunnel at this dark tunnel we're going through and that the world community can come back together and celebrate as one uh in a year from now uh, and obviously that's contingent to a whole bunch of things hopefully in a year from now we will have this under control and we will be talking about other things but hopefully that will be the um the time when we can all come together as a world community and celebrate as one definitely well canada led the way with holding the athletes from tokyo and you know due to the pandemic i'm wondering if you can walk us through the kind of communication that went through the war room so to speak you know everybody always likes to peel back the layer and see <laughs> what happened behind the scenes what was the first internal dialogue? You know, okay, what are we going to do? What's the threshold here? And if it gets to X point, okay, this is where we're going to say, okay, we're done. I know you guys uh, went to each of the athletes and you asked them twice, over 100 athletes, to, to make sure that they were on board with this and it was 100% comeback that, yes, we want to uh, withdraw and make sure everyone is safe. I'm wondering, though, what, what went on behind the scenes to get to those decisions and uh, what was the thought process going into it? Yeah, that, that was a tough one. Um, I, and, and to be honest with you, our, we've all, we all have agreed, <laughs> at least all, all of us who were on these uh, calls. It was a, I recall it very vividly. It was a Sunday, uh, and it was probably the longest Sunday of my entire life. Um, one of the toughest decisions not the toughest decisions professionally we've all had to take as a, as a collective at the Canadian Olympic Committee. Uh, you know, it started off with the idea that uh, the games were going to uh, be evaluated by the Olympic Committee. Uh, we were on a call with our athletes commission uh, that was a pre-planned call, and we were evaluating what was going to happen. Uh, we were obviously consulting with a whole bunch of stakeholders, including uh I'd say one of the most important ones, which was our uh, chief medical officer, Dr. Mike Wilkinson. Dr. Mike, who was in constant communication with the World Health Organization and with the uh, Olympic uh, Committee, was looking at what our situation was like. And obviously his main responsibility is the health and safety of our athletes. And we've always said that the health and safety of our athletes is our number one priority. Uh, and it, it's not something that we just say or take lightly. It is truly what we <laughs> prioritize in everything that we do. You know, an Olympic committee's reason for existing is first and foremost to uh, take athletes from Canada and bring them to games and bring them back to Canada safely. And if we can't do that, that's that's really the only thing that we should be doing. Everything else that we do is gravy, right? Everything else that we yeah. add on to that, that, that 
particular ideas is extra stuff. So Dr. Mike was saying to us that this was not a situation that he was comfortable bringing our athletes to. We had a very lengthy conversation with our athletes commission in the morning on Sunday. And as we were having that conversation, we got an email uh, from the IOC basically saying that uh, they we're going to take another four weeks before they made a final decision on whether or not on what was going to happen to the games and and part of the decision or part of the things that were on the table were postponement cancellation oh no sorry cancellation was out of the t- out of the uh, the, t- uh, the conversation it was postponement or uh, games being held but uh, in a different sort of way right like uh, without without uh uh, spectators or by moving athletes to separate accommodations or whatever okay. and as we were we were evaluating that with our athletes commission it didn't seem right because what the second option was which was holding the games what meant that our athletes that were currently being asked to stay home needed to continue their training uh in order to be able to be in shape for the games in july and there was a really big contradiction between what we were asking or what our federal government was asking our athletes to do and what they were supposed to be doing in order to prepare themselves for the games so we all took this very you know kind of important decision at on that morning call basically saying listen we don't think and the athletes commission was 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 a leader in this we don't think that this is the right thing to do we don't think that continuing to train under these conditions is appropriate because what's happening is we're not only endangering our health, we're also endangering the health of our families and friends and the people that we will go back home to. So if I get something and then I transmit it to somebody else that I'm living with, that's not good either. So, um, so anyway, I'll, I'll fast forward because I can go on and on forever <laughs> on this topic, but, um, we had several other phone calls, including with our entire sport community, which included over a hundred people, as you mentioned, uh, from uh, our uh, summer uh, summer uh, sports. And and in that conversation, we sort of relayed what what our plans were and how we were thinking about it, and didn't get any opposition from any of them. Uh, spoke to our board as well uh, and this decision was taken with the Canadian Paralympic Committee because uh, they also uh, were going to be going to games after us they spoke to their boards and uh, we ended up uh, coming together and writing up a press release saying that we were not going to send a team to games this summer uh, because of our uh, concerns around the uh, virus which was a bold move and one that uh, I don't think and I hope that I don't have to ever be part of again in my <laughs> professional career. No, it was, a, it was definitely a difficult one. I mean, the good thing was, too, you guys put out your press release and then it wasn't but hours later that Australia did the same thing. So, I mean, it was yeah. like other nations were just waiting for someone to be the first domino to fall to jump on and say, yeah, no, no, we, we feel the same way. We're not going either. So, I mean, for Canada to kind of be a leader in that is pretty good to see, pretty awesome to see, to be honest. Um, Everybody was wondering about it. I mean, it's not safe for anyone to be doing anything, but yet, you know, like you said, these people have to try to train. And then you even start the games or do the games, and people aren't up to snuff. I mean, not only will the athletes suffer, but injuries and other things that could happen. It's just, it doesn't make sense to go forward. 
Yeah, I and you know what? It was a decision that was so tough to make because of all the reasons I explained earlier about our athletes yeah. having to postpone their dreams and uh, some of them having to completely forget about going to even the games. And so we weren't making this decision because we thought you know, this is going to be good PR. Uh, no. <laughs> far, no. far, far from it. We were making this decision because we just didn't feel that it was appropriate. It was... You know, this is, I, I mean, I, I've grown to hate this word because we've been using it so often, but this was so unprecedented. This is the first time this has ever happened. This is the first time the Olympic Games have ever been canceled, not even canceled, have been postponed. Been delayed every time. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, this was not this was not a decision we we took lightly, and 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 to be honest we did have the support of a lot of our athletes some of them were were perhaps not as supportive uh, specifically to this decision uh, because of their personal concerns around what was going to happen with their own dreams but at the end of the day i think they all came to the same conclusion that this was the right decision despite the fact that we might not all be happy with it and and it is you're all right i mean we it, it it was great to see canada taking a leadership position and i i feel that canada more and more in the world stage is is doing just that taking a really important leadership position on on a whole bunch of issues and this is if, if we could have played a small part in in that we're, we're happy to have contributed no 100 percent and I would rather see, you know, a great Olympic Games go on in a year from now than basically maybe Canada, Australia, whoever else decided to withdraw, you know, not being there, not being represented. So, no, that situation where you guys came out and you made the statement, um, obviously there's some athletes that are upset about it, may have their dreams crushed. But if you look at the bigger picture, I mean, would you rather have your dreams put on hold or maybe not come true at the moment? or lose someone maybe close to you or something happened to someone you know on Team Canada or another team for that matter. So, you know, if you can protect anyone, I think that's the first thing you do in every light. Yeah, and I, I think that that's why we mentioned, I think, very very early on in our press release that this this was a decision that was bigger than sport. This is this is this is more important than sport. Surprisingly, there are things out there that are more important than sport, and this yep. is one of them. And and this was about uh, protecting people's health, uh, not only in Canada, but across the world. And and, um, and we were incredibly uh, happy that you know, 48 hours later, the IOC had come in discussions. Uh, so Thomas Bach had been in discussions with uh, Shinzo Abe. The uh, um, Minister of Japan, and uh, came to the conclusion that uh, you know uh, this was the right decision to postpone the games, and they weren't going to take the four weeks that they had originally had you know mentioned on that you know forty eight hours earlier to make that decision. They they made that decision a lot quicker, and we feel and hope that <clears throat> that was because of the position that we took. I think it was, I and mean, Canada is a a leader nation when it comes to you know olympic games when it comes to being on the world stage like you alluded to so i mean 
us taking that stand and you guys taking the stand you did with your statement, that definitely set the dominoes in motion. But to swing it back a little bit away from maybe just the Summer Olympics and, you know, a little bit of uh, other talk. Obviously, we do a lot of hockey on this show. Uh, I'm wondering for you, we'll swing it back in that direction because obviously you have a lot of hockey under your umbrella and, and things that you've touched on. I'm wondering for you in the Olympics, do you see the NHL and the NHL players coming back to the Olympic Winter Games or has that ship sailed and it's done? <laughs> I have Actually, to ask. Yeah. That's the $100 million question. Um, uh, you know what? <clears throat> we certainly would love for uh, the NHL to come back to the Winter Olympics. <laughs> it obviously brings in such an important uh, cachet to, uh, to, to the game, uh, and it certainly makes it a lot more interesting in, in so many aspects, uh, getting to see your favorite players compete for <clears throat> their respective countries and, uh, and also seeing what Canada can produce on, on the Olympic stage uh, in hockey. That's really, really awesome. But at the same time, I, I also feel that um, regardless of who wears that maple leaf at the games, Canada is going to cheer for them anyway, yep. and um, and we we saw that with with our team in Pyeongchang. Obviously, the the, the men's team uh, didn't perform to you know the the standard that we would have wanted them to perform, and we didn't get that gold medal. However, uh, you know one of the things that I will always cherish uh, in my memories was uh, in that. Um, game against the U.S. Uh, in Pyeongchang, uh, where we lost, uh, I was actually located at Canada Olympic House, and uh, we had a full, you know, the, you can imagine the Canada Olympic House in, in Pyeongchang was just full of people, full of Canadians wearing Canadian uh, gear, Canada gear, and, and cheering on our team, and when we lost that game, there was, there was a silence you could hear a pin drop in uh, Canada Olympic House and a few seconds later when they showed the Americans celebrating on the screens our Canadian fans applauded in Canada Olympic House out of respect for the Americans and out of recognition that they were truly the ones that deserve to win and that moment to me was such an important moment uh in in shaping who we are as canadians and how we deal with defeat in the most you know in the most respectful and classiest way possible and and that moment was truly something that i'll i'll, I'll cherish for a very very long time when i think about about that rivalry but to answer your question specifically about the nhl you know what we would we would certainly love them to be part of uh the next games which are happening in beijing uh and you know if there is anything that team canada can do on our end in order to make that happen we will certainly try and make that happen but um but at the end of the day in my in my humble opinion the maple leaf trumps the person who wears it. That is uh, that is very true. I, I cannot disagree with you in that. I mean, 
<clears throat> my apologies for battling a little bit of a cough. Um, <laughs> and don't worry, not that kind of cough. <laughs> we're good, we're good, yeah. <laughs> we're, we're far apart. Social distancing is in full effect here. Um, you know, it doesn't matter who wears a Maple Leaf. You cheer for that team, and I look at it like this. When the World Juniors come on, unless you are a diehard Juniors fan, you don't know every single player that's wearing that Maple Leaf, but you cheer for Team Canada because it's amazing. So it's the exact same thing at the Olympics. Another thing I wanted to bring up with you is um, right now with women's hockey, you have the NWHL. They just had their draft on the 28th to 29th of April, and it was a great two-night event. Great celebrities coming out to you know call the draft picks, and everything was great about it. I'm wondering for you, um, being immersed obviously in the global community of sport, what needs to be done to help grow the women's game and what needs to be done to help make a sustainable league for them to produce more athletes to go on to the Olympic stage and to produce, you know, not just from Canada and U.S., but from Russia and Sweden and all around the world to bring up that level of play for women's hockey. What do you think needs to be done to make it not on par with the men's league, but better? Oh, that's an, that's an excellent question because we certainly need our our Haley Wickenheisers and Vicky Naharas and Carolyn Wallets uh, of this uh, you know of the next generation in order to grow this game and make it better. And we already have some amazing athletes uh, within within our own circles. I mean, in speaking with Haley Wickenheiser, I am constantly in awe. Just not because she is, uh, you know, has been compared to you know the Wayne Gretzky of women uh, in terms of hockey, but uh, and also a, a summer Olympian too, by the way. But is doing so much amazing work uh, in the medical field right now on the front lines uh, as she's trying to you know, take care of people that really, truly need it. And, and, and people like that certainly push the game and push the interest uh, into women's hockey a lot more. I think uh, the thing that we need to do collectively as a society is uh, put our money where our mouth is. Yep. And so saying that we need to encourage women's hockey is one thing, but we need to go purchase tickets to go see them. We can't just be saying, oh, yes, I support women's hockey. Oh, yes, this is great. And, and people that actually do say that, I usually will ask, well, when is the last time you actually purchased a ticket to go see a women's hockey game? When is the last time that you encouraged women's hockey by purchasing a jersey? Um, you know, and... and and, and, and we're all in agreement and we're all on the same page that we need to encourage women's hockey and we need to do more for them. But truthfully, the the crux of it is we need to do that by, by purchasing tickets and by going out and encouraging them and by filling those arenas when they are playing um, and, and doing that. And hopefully, hopefully, uh, if, if, I, if I may when all of this craziness and isolation is over uh let's let's start thinking about what we can do for women's hockey specifically by doing exactly just that by using our newfound liberty to be out and about and uh with our our, our fellow canadians to cheer on women and not only in hockey but in every field which which is unfortunately something that 
is is suffering in in a lot of respects. We we do tend to invest a lot more money in men's sports, uh, especially in collective sports and team sports, uh, and we need to do that a lot more for women. No, it needs to happen across the board. I mean, I loved it when the Toronto Maple Leafs hired Haley Wickenheiser. I love it when you see, you know, these women getting put in power positions within teams, not only in the NHL, but the NFL, you know, the NBA. It's happening more and more, and it needs to not just be a token thing and taken as a token thing. It needs to be taken as this is the way things need to be and should be. And I look at the the ownership now for the Toronto NWHL team, and it's all women that own it and run it and operate it, which is 100% awesome. The only thing with the NWHL that seems to be a little bit of a dark cloud hanging over it is the fact that some players are not willing to play there because they're holding out for a better league. I'm wondering, in your opinion, Fody, what needs to be done to get everyone together? And um, would it take maybe the NHL not dipping its toe in the water, but firmly planting its foot on the ground and saying, hey, we're going to back this and we're going to make this the the women's comparable to the NHL. Kind of like what the NBA has done, right? Yeah. Um, I, I, I think that that could be a possible solution. Um, I just don't know if the NHL will be taking that direction. Uh, and I quite frankly don't, don't have any insider information unfortunately to share with you on that specifically uh however it doesn't feel like that's the direction that they've been taking or that they're they're willing to take uh, at least not publicly yet um and i i truly think yeah i i think that taking some uh, you know taking a league that like the nhl that has uh you know coffers that are pretty full and look at using the marketing teams uh, of the NHL uh, and the sophistication um, in terms of what happens during, uh, you know, a game uh, that they've applied to their, you know, their men's teams uh, and be brought into a women's league uh, will go an incredibly long way. You know, having, having to build something from scratch is one thing, but having... Uh, a, a an organization uh, like the NHL that has all of these mechanisms already uh, and all this infrastructure already there, uh, and and can can transfer that knowledge into building a very successful women's league would be a, a lot faster and better in fast tracking where the women's league needs to go instead of having to build it from from the ground up. So yeah, definitely somebody like the NHL would coming in would you know stepping in and and taking that as as uh, an important project uh would be tremendously beneficial hopefully that's something that uh is in the works or in the cards for the future well i'll leave it at this i mean you look at the the draft that we just talked about from the nwhl and two tweets from the boston bruins one was an emoji of eyeballs and one was just a simple congratulations tweet from the Boston Bruins to the Boston Pride, and the reaction, response, and reach that it got was astronomical. So the eyeballs that that just from the Boston Bruins account to recognize the Boston Pride account, just a little bit right there, that little connection, and just how far it reached, it shows you that, hey, that like you just said, the tools, the mechanisms, everything's already in place, and they can use it to further 
the team that has partnered with them or in the same city as them. I look at the Toronto team, you have the Maple Leafs, which is an absolute juggernaut when it comes to social media, community outreach, and everything. You know, just a little push could be all they need, and the ball is rolling. So I'm hoping, much like you, that it does happen, and it's not just a, you know, a toe in the water, so to speak, because you see the, the women going to the All-Star game and how much everyone got behind that and how exciting that game was between Team Canada and USA. So those things need to happen more and happen more on a grand stage but away from the men's game and give the women their own time to shine is is basically what i think should happen i i I couldn't agree more i think that's that's the right way forward i mean you never underestimate how um the star power of a you know a already established team and players tweeting out or using social media to uh, encourage or promote um, something can 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 do or what it can do in terms of uh, creating and generating interest within uh, within women's hockey just generally. So yeah, I couldn't agree more on on all those points. All right. So before I let you go, I got two more for you. Um, obviously, I'm in Halifax, Nova Scotia, I live in Cole Harbor. So the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League Who's is something. That? Yes, I was going to say yes. So the Halifax Mooseheads are in my backyard. Love watching them. Love watching the queue. And as we talked about, putting your money where your mouth is. Always getting tickets to the queue and going and see the Mooseheads play, whoever's in town. Um, Being a part of the queue yourself for six years as a director of communications, I'm wondering when the season halted and they outright canceled it, what was your immediate gut reaction? Obviously these young men battling all season long and you get – just about to the playoffs, and you have the Mooseheads actually batting, battling for the last playoff spot. I'm wondering, how did that hit you being so closely tied to the league? First of all, I'll just say um, the Halifax Mooseheads have a really special place in my heart. Uh, I, I couldn't have said that when I was part of the queue because you obviously have to be completely neutral uh when you're looking at all the teams but then again a lot of the teams at the queue have a special place in my heart for a whole bunch of reasons the halifax moves specifically because of um a wonderful run that they had uh i remember nathan mckinnon at the time who was part of the the moose heads uh jonathan Drouin, who was also part of the same lineup um were just so spectacular like watching them on the ice was yeah. was probably one of the biggest highlights of my of my hockey career and then uh take you know seeing them go all the way to the the memorial cup and winning uh the mastercard memorial cup at the time was just truly uh an amazing amazing moment in my career especially being on the ice when that happens so i'll just say that and then i'll move on to how i felt specifically on <laughs> on the can- the season being canceled um uh, the season being canceled gutted me i mean it was one of the uh, I, first of all i felt for my colleagues that work at the qmjhl uh, they are going through a really, really tough time right now. I felt for my uh, colleagues that worked for all of the QMJHL teams uh, that are also going through an incredibly tough time. You know, canceling the season is horrible for the for the uh, players, but it's also horrible for all the people that are working in that industry and are dependent on the paycheck uh, for uh, what happens. Um, you know, on, for for their own personal lives. For their own, for their for their well 
welfare. And so I was gutted because I was thinking of all of them and how tough the, these times are, are definitely for them. I was also incredibly disappointed for all the 20-year-old players that yes. uh, wouldn't be able to skate on the ice for that last time and have the crowd thank them and congratulate them and, and applaud them as they as, as is tradition, uh, which is just bad. I mean, it, it, there's you need closure in your life sometimes, when especially when a big chapter like playing in junior high, hockey closes. You need that closure. You need sort of to thank the, the fans and to wave to them and, and, and be part of that special moment it was horrible because uh one of the most important tournaments or if arguably according to me the most important tournaments in junior hockey or in hockey in general was cancelled the memorial cup which brings together some of the best hockey you'll ever see um and and that was incredibly sad uh to me um so you know it was it was very I, I, I reached out to all my former colleagues and I spoke to some of the players as well with whom I, I, I maintained some contact and uh, I expressed those feelings to them and, and expressed my support in whatever way I could offer it uh, but it was it was it was sad it was truly sad. how did how did you feel when when you heard about that well the first thing that came across my mind obviously I said the Halifax is battling for a playoff spot and it, it's what's close to you you watch right so it's the Halifax Thunderbirds the Halifax Mooseheads you know you're excited for everything in your city um, when the announcement came down that they were canceling the season your, your first thought was okay is it just the season or is it the playoffs then the second thought for me was just like you is the overagers and you're wondering what's going to happen with them and I know Halifax being the classy organization that it is, um, I know they will take care of them somehow. Maybe it's opening night next season. You know, they're on the ice in full gear. And before anybody else comes out, they get to do the lap and have the thank you and have the scoreboard lit up with their name and their number and stats and everything like that that they've done for their team, you know, to that point. I, I think that's something that will be done. Um, but then you think about, just like you said as well, I think about the people that I know that work for the uh, the Scotiabank Centre here in Halifax that, you know, do the concourse or the tickets or concessions. And all of those people now are wondering what's next, you know. It was big excitement because we got another major team in the city. So you had the Hurricanes and then you had the Thunderbirds and then you had the Moosehead. So it was giving more dates and more... Uh, opportunity for these people to work and now that's all gone all taken away and the uncertainty of the fact is when can we all bring it back and in a place like Halifax you know sports brings everyone together like I do a lot of work with the uh, Coal Harbor Colts for the Junior B and just seeing uh -huh. the community come together for them so you watch people come together each and every week to come see the team and it's almost like a gathering. It's almost like everybody gets together and, you know, to see each other, say hi, have fun, laugh. And then people coming in from out of town, you know, get to experience Halifax. You get to meet some of those people and joke around whether they're wearing a Canadian's jersey or the team that's in town that week, you know. So to think of all of that being gone and just a level of, wow, this is, it's so final. It's gone. It's not going to happen this year. And to hear the Memorial Cup, which last year here in Halifax was absolutely amazing to see, be a part of, take in, now being kind of stripped away from the place it was going to be in and not allowed to go there the next year 
and will be awarded to the place that it you know it's supposed to go to. All of that just is so painful to hear because you just know so many people were looking forward to it and like you alluded to it's such an event that brings everyone together from the hockey world and it's getting to the same level like the world juniors it's getting more media coverage uh, more bigger names are attaching themselves to it from the media landscape you look at Sportsnet and what they did last year here in Halifax and the team they sent down and the broadcast and everything like that so I just think of everything as a whole and doing podcast on hockey and talking to players and coaches and staff it's it's absolutely gutting to hear you know a lot of them say you know I'm not going to get to work with so-and-so or so-and-so is not going to be here next year or this isn't going to happen or you're planning for this and it's just utter chaos and I mean I I look at the other side too especially in media I was talking to Paul Bromby from Sportsnet yesterday and you know he was saying they don't know what to do, really, right? You, you don't know when things are going to start. You don't know when things are going to come back. And, you know, it's from local level to national level, it's it's absolutely gutting because there's so many different things that are, you know, not going to happen. But like you said previously, Fody, I mean, sports is a, is a great escape for us. It's a great thing to watch. But there are things more important than sport. And right now, you know, everybody being safe and making sure everyone gets through this and comes out on the other side to be able to experience those things again is more important than any sporting event. Yeah, I, I couldn't have said that better myself. I, I'm, and you're absolutely right. Halifax is uh, one of the classiest uh, teams in the Canadian Hockey League, and uh, there will be a way to honor those uh, overagers. And, um, and you know what? Yeah, the world hasn't ended. No, there will be a hockey season uh, again, and when when that does happen, it will be a wonderful, wonderful experience uh, to come together again and, and celebrate and have fun and enjoy the things that we usually enjoyed. Um, so yeah, no. Listen, Bobby Smith, uh, who, who's the owner of the uh, Mooseheads and and all of that, the frontline team there, uh, everybody from Brian Urquhart to Travis uh, Kennedy, uh, Scott McIntosh, the people I've worked with uh, for for years uh, when I was at the Q are all going to come up with some awesome ideas and and bring the community in Halifax together again uh, through sport. So. You're, you're right. We're, we're, we're going to get through this, and this is going to be uh, an even bigger and better uh, celebration when we do come out of it. You're 100% right. And to finish things off with a little bit of a, I guess, lighthearted uh, banter, um, your time with the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League, I don't know if you know this, but the FODI experience, as we'll call it, um, you are running at a 50% rate of the league winning the Memorial Cup. <laughs> You are three for six in your time there, so I think maybe, however you do it, you might have to get your fingerprints on something Quebec Major Junior Hockey related to keep that streak going up. You know what? I remember coming into the uh, the league, and it was the St. John Sea Dogs in two thousand eleven. Yeah, yeah, and and we were in. It was they were playing against the Mississauga. Michael's. Oh, St. Michael's. It was St. Michael's, yeah. St. Michael's at the time, yeah. And I, I remember coming in, and, and, and St. John won the Memorial Cup at the that that first year. And I, I <laughs> in the most pompous way possible, turned to uh, Joe Corto, the commissioner, and, and sort of kind of winked at him afterwards, and said, yeah, you know, 
just make saying there's there's you hired me they win <laughs> i'm i'm seeing a raise somewhere here uh and uh and second year uh same thing happened second year i believe who was it was halifax that one it was, uh, it was Hal- second- i think it was uh it was halifax no halifax was 2013 so it so, was um, uh, oh uh, show it again yeah so Winnegan in 2012. So Winnegan won in 2012 in in uh, So And sort of, I, I sort of did the same thing. Sort of turned to him. And I'm like, mm, you know, two years in a row. Two right. for two. <laughs> two for two. In the third year when Halifax won, I sort of said, you know what? I'm just saying, if you don't give me a raise, I don't, I don't know if we're gonna we're gonna be able to to go off for a fourth one. And uh, and along we hope he he actually did give me a raise, not for that reason, for for <laughs> the fact that I think I was a I was a pretty good employee at the time, and. Uh, uh, fourth year in a row we actually didn't win the memorial cup and he sort of came back to me and he sort of tapped me on the shoulder when i was back in the office and said yeah about that raise <laughs> <laughs> yeah see what happened was there for you messed with the experience so you needed to be able to do that every year that little wink and that little jab and say hey i need the raise you know that needed to keep happening was all part of the thing and once you change the rules it was all. I know. <laughs> I, it's, I, I think I worked against the universe there. I, I think I, I, I taunted it too much. So I, <laughs> I, I learned my lesson. But I, I, I might. I, you know what? Uh, I, I do hope I, I have a, a second, uh, second act with the QMJHL in the future, or even with the CHL, because. Quite frankly, all of those people there are just such amazing, wonderful people, and they love hockey. Uh, and as much flack as the commissioner gets uh, for a whole bunch of other reasons from the fans, um, I, I truly think he's a, a really great, wonderful guy. He's he's honestly been at the forefront of a whole bunch of things. Agree with him, disagree with him on, on some of his decisions or some of the, uh, the, the direction that he's taking with the QMJHL. He's been there for quite a long time, and he's done some really cool stuff uh and 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 a lot of the people within the uh, office and within the teams are just some of the most amazing people great hearts and uh and i i've always cherished my memories of of my time with the queue and with all of the wonderful people i've had to work with so yeah no hopefully there's a second act and in in that second act I'll, i'll bring back that winning streak for all of us there you go bring it back i mean for at least for halifax anyway everybody else can kind of sit back for a little while but Fody, I want to I want to thank you very much. Uh, and you know, Canada is absolutely lucky to have you as the director of communications for the Olympics. Um, I really appreciate you taking the time out. I know it's a busy, chaotic time with everything with the cancellation, COVID, the whole nine. So, um, it was great to talk to you about hockey and everything under the sun. Uh, I hope to have you back on, maybe when things get back to normal and in the swing of it. Maybe uh, pump up the Olympics or whatever is uh, on the table at that time. But again, thank you very much for uh, spending time with us. Hey, it was a complete pleasure. It was lovely chatting with you. And next time in in, uh, in Nova Scotia, I'll, I'll make sure to look you up and uh, maybe we can catch one of those uh, Halifax Moosehead games together. 100%, Fody. Well, thank you again. And we'll definitely get out to one of those. And maybe the Fody experience will keep going.